All right, well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel chapter 7 begins the second half of the book of Daniel, as Brother Wayne's already mentioned, that is the prophetic section. And when we look at Daniel chapter number 7, this is the last chapter which is recorded in Aramaic in the book of Daniel. Remember, the reason why a section of the book of Daniel, from uh, basically chapter number 2 through chapter number 7, is in Aramaic, is in order to, because those um, passages deal with the Gentiles. And we'll see that this prophecy will deal basically with the Gentiles. After Daniel chapter 7, when we get into Daniel 8 and to the end of the chapter, I meant to into the end of the book, it'll deal with the Jews. Um, and so it'll go back to Hebrew. And so um, I just wanted to say that, just in your study, you can understand um, those differences. But um, we'll go ahead and begin with verse number 1. We see in verse number 1, the Bible says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions of his head upon his bed, and he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Now right here, Daniel himself has a dream. Now in every other passage in the book of Daniel, Daniel's been interpreting dreams. But this time he has a dream on his own. And uh, it's interesting, again as a parallel between him and Joseph, the parallels between these two biblical characters. In the book of Genesis, both dreamed dreams and interpreted dreams. Now Joseph um, dreamed his dreams as a young man. Daniel um, dreamed his dreams as an old man. Notice it says that it was in the first year of King Belshazzar. At this time, Daniel would have been in his 70s. He would have been in his 70s. So he's near the end of his life when he begins to dream these dreams. And what did his dream have to do? Well, we see in verse number, um, verse number 2 of chapter 7, Daniel begins to describe his dream. And the Bible says, And Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Now before we go any further, let me just uh, point out that as he's dreaming, he says that these beasts come out of the sea. Now when you see the sea in prophecy, it is referring to um, the nations. It refers to out of the people. These are a, a um, these beasts are coming out of the people, out of the nations. So keep that in mind as we look in prophecy. Whenever something is referred to as coming out of the sea, it's referring to coming out of the nations, coming out of the people. And um, we see the first beast um, in verse number 4. It says, The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted from the earth, and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So with this first beast, let's see what this verse says for us. Number one, it says that it had the appearance of a lion. This lion had eagle's wings. Notice that it says that the wings were later plucked from him. He was lifted up from the earth and given a man's heart. That is the first beast. And the Bible then goes on to the second beast. Look in verse number 5. The Bible says, And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, 
And it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. So we see the second beast. Daniel says it was likened to a bear. It raised up on its side. It had three ribs in his mouth. And it was commanded or told to arise and devour much flesh. This is the second beast of Daniel's vision. Moving on, we see the third beast of Daniel's vision in verse number 6. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So as we look at this beast, it was likened to a leopard. It had four fowls, or bird's wings. It also had four heads, and it was also given dominion over many lands. And then we get to the last beast. Daniel's fourth beast in verse number 7. The Bible says, And this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So let's look at what it says about this beast. It was exceeding dreadful and terrible. It had iron teeth and brass nails or claws, and it had ten horns. Now this beast was different than the other three. It says it was different from it, completely different in appearance from the other three beasts. We move on, and then we find out about a little horn upon this beast. Look at verse number 8. I, Daniel, considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. So, let's look at verse number 8. What did it say about the little horn? Number one, it said that it came up among the ten horns. And then three horns were plucked up of it by the roots. It had eyes as a man, and its mouth spoke great things. That is a very unusual horn. It's different than the other horns. The other horns apparently were much larger than this one, yet this one had a special power to it in that it could see, it could speak, and also that it had removed three other of the horns that were previously on the great beast. And then we come to the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Notice this right here concerning the Ancient of Days. Excuse me. It says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. Now that phrase cast down there is not referring to being destroyed. They were being set down, okay? They were being set down upon the earth, and it says, And the Ancient of Days did sit. Excuse me, not on the earth, it's just being set down for the Ancient of Days to sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand 
stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Now I want you all to notice the description of the Ancient of Days. Notice that it says that the one who did sit had a garment that was as white as snow, and the hairs of his head like pure wool. Notice it is not actually giving his description as of his appearance. He is describing as best as he can the appearance of the Ancient of Days. Now, who is the Ancient of Days? It's God. He's not being described per se as a man, but I want you to notice, I want you to notice in this, His garment and the hairs of His head. And the reason why this is important is, uh, you don't have to turn there, but I want to look in the book of Revelation, chapter number 1, concerning a description of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Remember, to understand the book of Revelation you have to have a good understanding of the book of Daniel. Without understanding the book of Daniel, you will struggle in understanding what's going on in the book of Revelation. They parallel each other. John, John in the book of Revelation is hearkening back to the symbolism of the book of Daniel. And if you're in the book of Revelation, verse number 1, I mean chapter number 1, and verse number 14... Um, actually, let me start in verse 13. There's an important phrase in verse number 13 we'll get into in just a minute. It says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Now, I want you all to keep that phrase right there, the Son of Man in your head. When I say the Son of Man, most of you all already know who it's talking about, don't you? You've heard that phrase before. You've heard it in the Gospels. You've heard it in the book of Revelation here. The Son of Man is who? Jesus Christ. Now notice what it says further. Clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now here's the important verse, verse number 14. His head and his hairs were white like what? Wool. As white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. Y'all remember that phrase? What was the color of his hair? White as what? Wool. Now look at verse number 9 again. It says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like what? The pure wool. Now that is not an accident. It is not a coincidence. It was put there on purpose. But let's go a little bit further now, and let's um, keep in mind verses 13 and 14 of the book of Revelation. Two phrases. Number one, the hair of his head was white as wool, verse 14. But the other phrase that's important is, who was the one in the midst of the seven candlesticks? The Son of Man. Let me say it again. The Son of Man. Keep that in your head. The Son of Man. Look at verse number 11. We see the judgment of the four beasts. I, Daniel, beheld then, verse number 11, because of the voice of of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld till even I mean I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Um, I want to also point out right here in verse number twelve that's very important. Notice that it says that they were prolonged; their lives were prolonged for a season and a time, the other, four, I mean, the other three beasts. Now what does it mean when his life was um, prolonged a season and a time? What that's referring to is this. 
God has given each one of these kingdoms a period of time to exist in His will and according to His power and according to His plan. Even the enemies of God are permitted to exist and have to um, act and work according to His plan. God is sovereign over everything upon this earth. Nothing happens apart from God's plan. Isn't that comforting to know about God? Even when this world seems to be as dark and as wicked as ever, we can take confidence and have assurance that God is still in control. And even these wicked beasts were allowed to run and rule and do what they needed to do for a season that God had given them. But each one had their time appointed, and each one had their time come to an end. What a blessing to know that God is in control, no matter how dark nor and brutal and violent this world may become. I'm thankful for that. Amen? Then we're introduced to another person in heaven in this vision. We're introduced to the Son of Man. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We just read that in the book of Revelation, chapter number 1. Maybe some of y'all have read it in the Gospels. We were just reading um, on Friday, Mark chapter number 10, if you're doing the daily Bible readings. We read Mark chapter number 10, and verse number 45 the Bible says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. When Jesus walked upon this earth, one of the titles that Jesus called Himself, not one that other people called Him, like the Son of David, but what Jesus referred to Himself as, was what? The Son of Man. And again, it is not a coincidence that the phrase, the Son of Man, was used by Jesus, and the phrase and the title, the Son of Man, was used in the book of Daniel. When Jesus called Himself the Son of Man, He was giving to Himself a Messianic title. We see that title first introduced here in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. Look on as I read. The Bible says, I, Daniel, saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So now, look what we see here. The Ancient of Days appears... I mean, and then we see the Son of Man come. Now notice that in the, um, in the appearance of the Ancient of Days, He has a thousand thousands. Now if you multiply a thousand times a thousand, you get the number million. Understand that this does not necessarily mean that there was a million angelic beings around, um, around the Ancient of Days. When they use numbers this big, it's because they did not have numbers like that in their own um, thing. They didn't have the, a number for a million. The Romans did not, the Greeks did not, the uh, Persians did not, the Babylonians, the Hebrews did not. So they had to, to talk about an innumerable amount, come up with these kind of numbers. They said a thousand thousands. They said ten thousand times ten thousand. It was a number which they did not have a number for. So they used these phrases. A large group of people were there. 
And those people that were around the throne, those people that were before the throne of God during the judgment, they bring unto Him, the Ancient of Days, one like unto the Son of Man. Now this person who is called the Son of Man is brought to the Ancient of Days. Now I'd like to take a little bit of a Trinitarian teaching to you. Notice again, who is the Ancient of Days? God. In this picture right here, in Daniel chapter 9 through verse 14, who is the Ancient of Days? God the Father. Who is the Son of Man? God the Son. Notice they are given as two distinct persons. The Son of Man is brought to the Ancient of Days. Understand that God the Father is not God the Son. And God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. They are three distinct persons. But they're one God. I will illustrate that in Daniel chapter 7 in one moment, so don't worry about that part. Understand, God is not three different personalities. He does not have multiple personality disorder. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He was not talking to Himself when He was praying to the Father. He was praying to a distinct person in the Godhead. And we see a picture of that here in Daniel chapter number 13, I mean Daniel chapter number 7 in verses 9 through 14. Now Daniel has seen this vision. He has now concluded what this vision and this dream was about that he was seeing. And the Bible says in verse number 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. We see that Daniel's greatly troubled. He does not know what to make of what he is seeing. And I find this very interesting. Notice that Daniel was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, but yet we see right here he's not able to interpret his own dream. Daniel said when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams that it was not him that was doing the interpreting. It was not him that had come up with it. Who was the one that gave Daniel the interpretation? God. We see right here in Daniel's own dream, He's troubled because he's seen this, but he does not understand what is going on. He doesn't understand what these beasts are. He doesn't understand why he's seeing this scene with the Ancient of Days, why he's seeing this scene with the Son of Man. And he wants the answer. And we see that he looks for the answer in verse number 16. The Bible says, I, Daniel, came near unto one of them that stood by, and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me, and made me known, made me know the interpretation of the things. So he's seen this great number of people. He's seen all these people standing around the, uh, the throne of the Ancient of Days. He's seen the Son of Man come down. He's seen the great beast, yet he does not understand what he's seeing. So since he's standing near to one of those people amongst the crowd of uh, beings, that are standing around the throne of the Ancient of Days, Daniel goes up to one of them, and he asks him, tell me, what are these things about that I'm seeing? And so this being, an angelic being, begins to let him know the interpretation of these things. And we begin in verse number 17, the Bible says, 
These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. So what do we see in Daniel chapter 7 verse 17? The four beasts that we saw are what? Four kings. These four kings represent four um, empires over the world. There is a parallelism between Daniel chapter number 2 and the great statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel chapter number 7 in the four beasts. And I put them side by side so you could see how they interact with each other. The head of gold and the lion with the wings are Babylon. The chest and the arms of silver and the bear is the Medo-Persian Empire. The, uh, the thighs of brass and the, and the loins of brass um, correspond with the leopard with the four wings and the four heads. It represents Greece. And then the legs of iron and the feet of iron mixed with clay. And then the terrible beast, uh, the fourth beast of Daniel chapter number 7 is Rome. Let's see how these beasts are what we say they are. We'll go to the first beast, Babylon. Remember the description of the first beast. It was described this way. It was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. Now the lion and the eagle's wings represent two things, both nobility and cruelty. Keep in mind that um, throughout history, the lion has been a representation of royalty. Even with England, if you've ever seen the great seal of England, you'll see a lion on that seal. It represents royalty. Also, the eagle um, gives the idea of nobility as well, even on our coins here in the United States. What do we have on the um, other side of our quarters? We used to at least. An eagle. It represents nobility, but also with these two animals... It also represents cruelty. Lions can kill. How many of y'all would let your little children play around a fully grown lion? Or even a young lion? That would be foolish, wouldn't you agree? How many of y'all would let your children play with an eagle? Eagles also are known for being cruel and being very violent creatures. So we see that the lion is described, I mean, it's, this kingdom is described as being both noble and being both cruel. Also, the wings were later plucked off. This refers to the humbling of that first king of the Babylonian empire, Nebuchadnezzar, his humility. And at the end, it was given a man's heart. This refers to the fact that after his humility and after he was restored to his kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar became more humane. His cruelty went away, and he was more humane at the end of his reign. This is the first beast of Babylon. The second beast represents the Medo-Persian Empire. Let's remember what the description was of this beast. Number one, it was a bear, and this bear was raised up on one of its sides. Remember, it was the empire of the Medes and the Persians. But among these two nations, the Persians were the ones with the power. They were the greatest. So this beast is set up on one of its sides, indicating that one of these two people were the stronger of the two. So we refer to that, the Persia was greater than Media. It also had three ribs in its mouth. These three ribs represented the three nations, three great nations that Persia conquered and, um, and, and making its empire. And those great nations were Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. Those were the three ribs in his mouth. And then he was commanded to go and devour more. 
he, they didn't stop there. They went and conquered many small nations as well. That is Daniel's second beast. Daniel's third beast is Greece. And this is an unusual looking creature, isn't it? A leopard with four heads and four wings. Why is it described that way? Number one, it was like a leopard and it had four wings. What is a leopard known for? Known for its speed. And the fact that it had four fowl's wings instead of the two wings that Babylon had also spoke to its swiftness. Remember, the Greek Empire was conquered by a man by the name of Alexander the Great. He started conquering when he became ruler of um, Macedonia and Greece at about the age of 18. He had conquered the known world and had stopped fighting and died in a drunken party in Babylon when he was only 30 years old. You talk about an overachiever. How many people do you know that had conquered the entire world and they were not even 30 years old yet? He did that. And it speaks to the speed whereby Greece had conquered the world. But it also said that it had four heads. You see, Alexander the Great conquered the world, the known world at the time. He went all the way to the Ganges River in India. And his soldiers made him stop. They said, we're not going any further. We know there's more kingdoms over there. We're not going any further. We're getting homesick. We want to go back home. And so Alexander the Great had to turn around. It's incredible. You know, even today in our news, we hear of cities that were made because of Alexander the Great. How many of y'all have ever heard of a city called Kandahar in Afghanistan? Anybody ever heard of the town of Kandahar? You know why it's called Kandahar? It's the old city of Alexandria in the region of Afghanistan. The person who founded it was Alexander the Great and named it after himself. And the Muslim form of that is Kandahar. We're still even being touched by him, even into modern days. But he died at the age of 30, and when he died, his four head generals divided the empire amongst themselves. One of, the empire, one of the generals took the region of Greece. One general by the name of Ptolemy took the region of Egypt and founded the Ptolemaic um, dynasty in Egypt. In fact, some of y'all may have heard of Cleopatra. Cleopatra was the last Ptolemaic ruler of Egypt. You go further. The, um, a man by the name of Seleucus com, um, took over the region of Palestine and Israel and, and Syria and started the Seleucid dynasty. And then another one of his generals took over the region of Babylon. Because of this, this beast was given four heads, referring to the four generals and the four kingdoms that would divide after Alexander the Great died. Now, let's look at verse number 18. The Bible says, But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Notice that it says that after all these four kingdoms rise fall, that the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. Now when you hear the word saint, immediately you think of Christians, because we use it all the time. Everybody in this church, if they're a believer, is a saint. But that is not what it's referring to in the book of Daniel. Remember, Daniel knows nothing of the church. He cannot see the church. The only thing that he can prophesy about are concerning his race, the Jewish race and the Gentile race. He doesn't see anything really that goes on with the church. Who he's referring to when he says the saints are believing Jews. Those Jews who are faithful to God. 
That's an important thing. Do not equate the saints in the book of Daniel to the church. It refers to believing Jews, those Jews who have stayed true to the law and to what um, God taught. Now Daniel becomes interested in the fourth beast. Now understand one more thing about the book of Daniel. In chapter number 7, Daniel only gives three verses in describing the, three, um, the, the first three beasts. He spends 21 verses describing the last beast. And we see here that Daniel is not so much preoccupied with the first three beasts, he's preoccupied with the last beast. And he says in verse number 19, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the th other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and, that's, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Daniel says, I want to know who these people are. And then he makes another interesting statement in chapter, I mean, verse number 22. I like this verse. It says, Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Now notice that it says in verse 22 that the beast had power until the, until the Ancient of Days came. The key word there is came. Now in Daniel chapter number 7 verse 9, we have a description of the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days in chapter 7 verse 9 is referring to God the Father. Yet he gives a description that we see concerning Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter number 1 verse number 14. The surprising thing is when we get to Daniel chapter number 7, verse number 22, it says that the Ancient of Days came. There's only one person in the Godhead who comes to the earth. And who is that? Jesus. So understand that the Ancient of Days refers in Daniel chapter number 7 and verse number 9 to God the Father, and the same title is given to God the Son in verse number 22. Don't be surprised by that because in the book of Isaiah, in giving titles for Jesus Christ, it says that one of Jesus' names would be the Everlasting Father. In other words, yes, the Son of Man is a distinct person from God the Father. Jesus Christ is not the same person as God the Father. Yet they are one being, one essence. Jesus and God, the Father, are one. So both of them, in Daniel chapter number 7, take the title, Ancient of Days. We see a great picture of the Trinity shown to us in Daniel chapter number 7. But moving on due to time, let's look at verse number 23. We have the fourth beast explained. Of course, the fourth beast is Rome. It says in verse 23, Thus he, the angel, said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, 
and break it in pieces. So right here we see the description of the fourth beast. It says that it has ten horns in verse number 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Now understand, the, Ro the Roman Empire, um, historians note that when the Roman Empire fell, out of that Roman Empire in Europe sprang ten kingdoms, ten different nations, which can all trace their history as being part of the Roman Empire. Ten horns sprang up, referring to ten kings that would rise up. Understand also that Rome here is being referred to something that was in our past, Daniel's future, but it's also going to be something in our future as well. Daniel could not see the church age. He did not understand that period of time from the time that Jesus Christ died on the cross, the day of Pentecost, the founding of the church age, all the way up to in the future when the church would be raptured up. He can only see those things which pertain to the Jews. So he sees one kingdom, this fourth beast, showing up, and he also sees it as being the last kingdom. In between the Roman Empire and this revived Roman Empire that is still yet to come, sits the church age that Daniel couldn't see. Since he could not see the church age, they look as one beast. Does that make sense? He couldn't see the gap in between them. So they become one to him. Now notice what it says in verse number 25. Talking about the little horn, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. Now the little horn, of course, is who? It's the Antichrist. It is the Antichrist. What this is referring to here is what happens during the tribulation. He makes war upon the Jewish people. Notice that it says concerning him, and so you understand this is not talking about the church, but it's talking about the Jews, verse 25. It says, He will wear out the saints of the Most High, and notice what it says next, and think to change times and laws. This refers to the feast days, which, by the way, if you're doing your daily Bible reading, we just read about in the book of Leviticus this past week. These feast days, he's going to try to call them to cease amongst the Jewish people. The Jews cannot stop doing the feast days. Why? Because God said, I have made it an everlasting covenant amongst you to observe them, it said in the book of Leviticus. They cannot stop doing them. Yet this is one of his means of attack. Now look at the church. Is the church being affected by feast days? How many times have you heard the pastor get up and say, we're going to meet on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. We're going to have a special Yom Kippur service. I'm not trying to be disrespectful of the Day of Atonement, but we don't celebrate that, do we? Do we ever celebrate the Feast of um, Tabernacles? You ever went outside behind your house and built yourself a tent and stayed out there for a full week? Any of you? None of you? Okay. Anybody celebrating the Feast of Pentecost? We, cele we celebrate Pentecost. We remember that day when it comes around. We don't celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. This is not referring to the church. It's referring to the Jews. 
Who is Antichrist making war on during the tribulation period? The Jews. And how long will he do it? Look at verse 25 again. I'm hoping some of y'all have paid attention when we've talked about this before. Verse 25, it says, How long will he do it? They shall be given into his hand until what? A time and times and a dividing of times. Anybody remember how long is a time in prophecy? One year, very good. So what is, they, what is he talking about? We've already said the times and laws refer to the Jewish feast days. But time and times and the dividing of the times represent three and a half years, or half the period of the tribulation. It says in verse 26, But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the Bible says, and, his, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. What we see here is what is referred to as the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the millennial kingdom, in prophecy, refers to a fulfillment of God's promises, not to the church, but God's promises to Abraham, God's promises to David. You know, God promised Abraham a lot of land would be given to him. God promised David that a lot of land would be under his kingdom. Do you realize that never once in the history of Israel has Israel or the Jews ever possessed all the land that God promised them? They never have. Yet God promised that it would be so. The millennial kingdom of Christ, His thousand year reign, is given... Remember, he'll sit upon the throne of who? David. Where will the capital, where will those capital be? Jerusalem. It is a Jewish kingdom, the throne of David. The capital is Jerusalem. And it is a fulfillment of everything God had promised the children of Israel through Abraham, through Moses, and through David. That's the purpose of the millennial kingdom. And it will begin at the fall of the final Gentile empire, represented by this terrible beast, represented by ancient Rome, and also the future revived Roman Empire. And the Bible says at the very end, verse number 28, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me but I kept the matter in my heart. That word cogitation just means the thoughts in his head, okay? He thought upon this. He realized that what he was told and what he saw had even a greater significance and a greater meaning than what he was able to wrap his head around. And even though this angel explained to him the vision, he walked away still troubled by his dream. He did not understand it fully. It is something incredible to understand because this is the outline for the prophecy for the rest of the book of Daniel. We see the outline right here in Daniel chapter number 7. We see the four empires and we see the coming, coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
which will cast down all the wicked empires that have ever walked upon this earth. And God will fulfill all His promises to the Jewish people. And that will be a wonderful time. Because guess what? We'll be with Him. And we'll be able to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Now next week, we're going to take a break because I will not be here. But in two weeks, we'll start in chapter number 8. Notice that with verse number 28, that's the end of the Aramaic section of the book of Daniel. From now on, from verse 1 of chapter 8 to the end of the book, we are, it is being written down in Hebrew by Daniel. These promises and prophecies from here on deal with the Jews. And we're going to see what God's plans for the Jews are in the future. It's very important that you understand this. It will help you in the rest of understanding Bible prophecy. I hope you've been blessed by it. God bless you, Brother Wayne.